Okay, we are live. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Ecom Hot Seat. My guest today, uh, some people know him as the $50 million email marketer. Uh, I know him as the MVP of D2C Twitter, um, but he's an all-round great guy and such a pleasure to have him on. So Chase, thank you so much for joining me, man. Yeah, dude, I'm stoked to be here. Appreciate the kind words. Awesome, awesome. So do you want to start before we jump into the timer and, and the questions and put you in the hot seat? Um do you want to start by just introducing yourself to the people kind of, you know, what is it they're working on? Uh, what sort of businesses are you involved in at the moment? Yeah. So I guess really what I'm working on right now, and then if you want to take a step back, we can, is I'm a partner at an agency called Structured. And we have about 50 to 60 employees across six different countries. And we actually have four departments. So the one that I'm very vocal about and the one that I run is the email side. So we've got about 70 clients or brands do anywhere from you know seven to nine figures in annual revenue. And then the other department that we're kind of overseeing and running that we recently started is an SMS division where we have 20 clients. So we've got 90 clients that we're managing, about 35 to 40 people on my team. And then the other side of the house does paid social and content creation. So all in, we work with about 120 brands doing anywhere from seven to nine figures. We love what we do. We've been doing it for a while. And, you know, frankly, we're getting pretty good at it. Awesome. That's pretty timely. I know, I know you, you recently partnered with Structure, right? Before you were doing your own thing. Yeah, so uh, myself and a partner in 2018 started an agency specifically doing e-commerce email marketing called Boundless Labs. And then Nick Shackelford, who's one of my good friends, we've been friends for over 15 years. He had this business called Structured Social. Um, give or take about a year ago, we came together and we merged. And now we're just going by the name of Structured Agency. So that's kind of the formed and combined entity of the four divisions. Um, outside of that and before that, it was just email. And then SMS is our, our newest kind of addition. That's a big power move to have content creation, paid social, SMS, email, all under one house. Um, I'm sure you guys are cleaning up out there. Um, and I've seen on Twitter the sort of results that you guys are getting. And, you know, with partners like Nick and yourself together, um, I'm sure it's, it's absolutely flying. So that's awesome to hear, man. Um, cool. So what I'm going to do now is start the 20-minute timer, as I do with every single episode. And then we're just going to jump right into the hot seat questions. So the first question I have for you is... What are three high intent or high conversion rate segments that brands can create within their Clavio account today and start sending emails to weekly? Yeah, that's a great question. For, for us, I think the most common segments are kind of as follows. Um, one, right, is just an engaged segment. So if someone has opened or clicked over X number of days, weeks, or months. So someone has clicked over the last 30 days or has opened an email over the last 30 days, right? That's a pretty... Uh, exclusive segment where it's really strict. Not a lot of people are going to be in it, but it's going to be your best and most engaged segment. So you want to test anywhere from like a 30 day to like a 120 day engage. And you're trying to pick the segment there that allows you to straddle the line of a 20% open rate on your campaign. You know, inherently and naturally your flows or your automations are going to have a lot higher open rates, but you want to maximize hitting enough people without hitting too many people that you have potential deliverability issues. So everything typically revolves around this engaged segment. Does that one make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Cool. And then from there, right, we have a bunch of other things we could go do. One is a VIP segment, right? So these are your brand enthusiasts, your brand loyalists, and people run this, you know, a magnitude of different ways. Typically, it looks like one or two of the following. Someone has placed X number of orders within the last, you know, X number of months. So if you want to take, for example, your normal customers say they purchase once from you every quarter, then your VIP might be the people that buy two or three times from you in a given quarter. That's one way that you can look at it. 
is you take what average person does and then you take like the top 10 or 20 or 30% of the people that are above that and you kind of watermark that. The other way that you could look at it is they've spent X number of dollars on your store in the last X weeks or X months. So for example, if the average user spends $100 in your store in the last quarter, maybe a VIP is someone that spent you know, over $125 or over $150, right? And they could be the same. They've spent this much money and they've done this many orders and that's what constitutes them as a VIP, right? They have VIP only access, they get early dibs, you know, they get first looks, maybe they get special offers, maybe they get special status, um, right? So that's number two. So again, in, in engaged segment, uh, VIPs is number two. And then number three, like, you know, there's, there's so many, right? Like gender, um, male versus females. If you're leveraging Clavio, they have something called predictive analytics where you can see whether someone's likely male it's likely female. And if you sell apparel for men's, women, children, so on and so forth, you can segment out based off gender, obviously keeping in mind people's engagement and past purchasing behavior. You know, geography is another big one, right? So number three is really hard to just decide on one because there's a lot of really good segments that we leverage. Um, geography, for example, um, I'm in the US and, and where are you based? UK. You're in the UK, right? So say, for example, there's a merchant here in the US that will offer free shipping uh, domestically, right? They might want to send an email to me saying, Chase, here's your free shipping offer. But to you, instead of sending you a free shipping offer, because it's more expensive to ship internationally, they might not send you any offer, or they might send you some kind of $10 off, 10% off, right? And so those are kind of a couple that come to mind. Okay, awesome. And with those segments, do you find there's like a sweet spot in terms of the number of people? I know you mentioned you don't want to email too many people to run into deliverability issues, but you want to keep that pool big enough so that you can actually generate you know, significant amount of revenue from your email. So is there a number of people that you guys aim for in each segment? No, um, the, the reason there is like our segments skew greatly. Our smallest brand probably has 10,000 subscribers and our biggest brand probably has like 5 million. So inherently every single brand is going to have a certain number of people. You know, for, for us, like the minimum that we'll typically work with is like has to be at least five or 10,000 people on your list. Typically, you know, the minimum is, is a lot more like maybe we have one or two clients that are like at that minimum, a lot of other people are above that. And the reason for that is like for us as a brand based off what we charge and based off the work that we do, we want to have ample data and ample sets, right? So we want to have at least a couple thousand people in each segment. That being said, like, you know, depending on the audience of who's listening to this podcast, someone might just be starting out, right? They might only have 500 people, or maybe they have 1500 people on their list. So it's going to be hard for me to give, uh, you know, a number. Um, just because it, it, it varies drastically. Um, I, unfortunately, I can't give you a number. Okay, no, no, that's not a problem. I think it's just a case of you have to play it by ear and, and test what works for your brand based on you know, your growth level, how much traffic you're even driving to your site, um, how many opt-ins you're getting uh, and all that sort of stuff to try and figure out what, what works for your numbers. So, so Yeah, that's exactly it. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. So second on my list was what are three things that brands need to stop or start doing to avoid the spam folder? Yeah, that's a good question. So I think the first one is they, they're not leveraging segmentation, right? They're just batching and blasting. They're taking their entire list and they're pressing send. And it's something that I understand like why people do that. It's an easy thing to fall into. Uh, most people inherently think, say their list size is a thousand people. They think by sending to all 1000 people, you know, irrespective of someone's engagement, that they're going to get the most opens, the clicks, and therefore the most purchases Whereas in reality, say the 800 people of the 1000 on the list are actually the right people. You'll be surprised. You'll get just as many opens in most cases, if not more, 
and then just as many clicks and then just as many conversions. And that allows you to have longevity over time. Um, so I think that that's, you know, depending on how you look at it, that's one or two, right? So the segmentation piece, which we've touched on and, and not leveraging and latching and blasting is one. Two, if they're not sending enough campaigns per week, a lot of us as marketers kind of face this, you know, tug and pull in our own internal biases where we're both marketers and we're also consumers, right? And we often kind of go back and forth too quickly with the same lens. So for example, as a consumer, I don't really want to receive four five, six emails a week from a brand. So therefore, as a brand, as a marketer, I'm like, man, I don't want to send four campaigns a week, five campaigns a week. Like people are going to be annoyed. And most people then do the opposite, right? They send maybe one campaign a week, a couple campaigns a month, and they're leaving a lot of money on the table. So again, going back to segmentation, you can send four or five times a week. And that doesn't necessarily mean that one person has to receive four or five emails. So I think that's a really big misconception. And I guess the last one to round this one out would be people always say, yeah, build the flow, set it, forget it. Don't ever think about it. You know, it's shocking to me. Like every time I hop on a call with a brand, it's like, yeah, you know, we have some good flows. You know, well, when did you set it up? You know, I think it's been about a year and a half, maybe two years. You know, other times brands are like, you know, we haven't thought about our flows since we started on Clavia four years ago. It's like, oh my gosh, you guys are leaving so much money on the table. I mean, you guys probably haven't added additional emails where there's opportunity. So flows definitely need some love. They definitely need polishing. They definitely need optimization. It's not set it and forget it for the rest of your life. Awesome. Awesome. Kind of on the topic of flows then, um, the amount of marketing emails that I receive, you know, when I've abandoned checkout or abandoned cart and like the level of thought and design that goes into these emails really isn't, isn't very good. I know you shared um, a tweet the other day about, uh, marketers this is your competition it was a really really <laughs> bad email that you got um so kind of on that topic obviously an abandoned checkout abandoned cart email there's only so much you can do with it but what kind of creative strategies can brands deploy to make their abandoned cart emails more engaging whether it's from the subject line or to the email design yeah i think for one a lot of people don't know even the difference between abandoned cart and abandoned checkout so i think that's really the low-hanging fruit is um, in the case of leveraging both shopify and Clavio. You actually can have a true abandoned cart, which takes the action of someone adding to cart, but not starting checkout. And then you have abandoned checkout, which is people have added to cart and then they've started checkout, but they haven't purchased. So I think like just that alone is kind of a low hanging fruit is make sure that you have the two set up, right? You should have at least the browse abandonment, the abandoned cart and the abandoned checkout set up. I think at minimum, right? Doing that, whether it's simple, whether it's ugly is way better than not doing it at all, which a lot of people are not doing at all. So I think that's one. And then two, right? Like, I, I think the other thing that you always need to do is go to competitors' websites, go to brands that you buy from, go to other people's websites in the industry, add to cart, abandon checkout, see what you get, right? See why you opened and then kind of dissect that and reconstruct what works for you, right? So look at what other people are sending subject line wise, look at their preview text. What does their design look like? You know, where were your eyes drawn? So I think as marketers, like we always try to like, complicate things. We always try to have to start things from scratch or in reality, there's a bunch of big brands. Like if you sign up for any of our 70 email clients, like you're going to have a lot of insight just right there. And then because we've done all the testing and we've been working on this for you. So I think those are like the two low hanging fruit is one is have abandoned cart and abandoned checkout. Those are separate. Two is go perform these actions on a dozen different stores and start keeping track of like what got you to open, right? Was it the from name? Was it the subject line? Was it the preview text? Great. Like, what was that? Mark that down. Put your own brand spin on it. 
two is like once you're opening like did you buy did you not buy if you bought like what was it was it a really good offer was there a countdown timer was there a cool animation was there great social proof like just dissect these types of things so that way you can go build it yourself i think that's probably the easiest advice i'd give yeah keywords there being put your own spin on it i think yes. people receive those emails see even even in the ad space you see it all the time they see a creative that works and they automatically rip it off thinking it's going to work for them but there's a significant amount of thought and research that has gone on to it gone into it from the other perspective that perhaps you haven't had to do and so you might see it work for a couple of days or maybe even initially but long term copying other brands is never going to uh, you know really result in any merit so okay, perfect and you mentioned sms being a new division of your business now i think you tweeted the other day that you guys have got now 20 clients right yep congratulations man that's that's really really cool um, thank you do you guys have any kind of initial numbers on how impactful SMS has been to your overall strategy? Um, I don't have those numbers. We, so I guess kind of talking about like the agency level, me, myself, I'm an expert at email. I've been doing it for six years, you know, really good at it. Um, SMS is something that I understand at a high level. I, I get it. You know, I know it. Um, but what we do is whenever we start a division, we always bring in an expert. So what we basically did is we went to an SMS platform. So a company that provides the technology and software, and we hired someone from their team that ran their customer support and their customer success. So she's running our SMS division. And truthfully, I'm pretty hands off there. It's just like, Hey, you know, so-and-so wants to work with us on SMS, you know, what's our pricing? When can we start those types of things? And I connect them. Um, but you know, from what I understand, you know, clients seem to be really, really happy with it, right? Like, you know, we started it a couple months ago, brands keep signing on, we haven't lost any clients, the results seem to be really positive. I don't have any specific numbers on metrics, but I know our team is really bullish on both SMS and email in combination where, you know, email is really for longer form, you can send more emails per week. Uh, SMS is really for that super important message where people want to receive like an exclusive text or first dibs. It's almost like this text club where the text typically comes from like the founder or the community spokesperson, or the community manager. Um, and people just want to get that extra access and that really quick insight from a, from a brand. Um, so that's kind of how we're positioning it. So I think people have been asking me lately, like, do I do email or do I do SMS? And it's like, well, pick one, start with one and add the other, right? Like I think both are really important to building that relationship, to owning your audience, to building that community um, and, and driving the additional touch points that consumers need to feel comfortable making a purchase. Perfect. Perfect. And kind of as we move into this cookie-less world where Facebook ads are being wreaked havoc upon and, you know, different things are going down in digital marketing. Um, what is your message to those brands that have been neglecting email, SMS or other channels to this day and being, you know, so bullish on Facebook? Yeah, dude, it's crazy. I think, when I first started, even like a couple of years ago, even like, let's say three or four years ago, like the amount of scale that brands could have off Facebook and Instagram alone was like, you know, almost ridiculous. It, it almost made people like think that this was going to last forever. Right. It almost had like this opposite effect of like, it was so good and, you know, great, great to the brands and kudos to the brands took advantage of it, but it almost made them so dependent and so reliant and so obsessed with top of the funnel that they never diversified. Right. They have an email list that probably is, medium to large size, but really went stale because they never communicated with them. So right now, like more than ever is like the time to double down and invest into own channels. Own channels are so predictable in the fact that like 
you know what you're going to pay your email provider every month. You know, you know, to some degree, like how much revenue you can account for, right? You know, your revenue per recipient, you know, how much percentage of revenue can come from email and you can do more things to kind of you know, move the needle. So I think owning your audience is what really puts you in the driver's seat, you know, in 2021 and beyond, allows you to have control, allows you to have predictability. It also allows you to have data and, and analytics that you wouldn't otherwise have now, because if you could understand like what products people are reviewing, and you can understand what actions that they're taking and what they've purchased, you can feed that information back into the top of the funnel, which really builds kind of out the ecosystem and, you know, a really nice kind of, you know, multi-level, multi-layer marketing strategy where a lot of those insights and data aren't going to be as accessible as they once were. So I think owning your own channel is crucial, whether you do it in-house, whether you use a freelancer, whether you use an agency, something is better than nothing. And, you know, you're going to wish and hope that you started. So it might as well start now. Perfect. Yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head there. On the topic of insights then, um, how effective have you seen uh, email being as a tool to gather insights from your existing audience, whether it's for, you know, research for new products or potential offers or, or stuff like that to really understand your audience a little bit better from a brand perspective to see what their objections are, what their hangups are when it comes to your product. Look, I might be biased, but I think email really is like the most obvious, the easy and one of the only channels to collect that, right? Like if you run a Facebook ad to like a survey or to a poll, like maybe some people are filled out, right? But like, I don't know, that's kind of a weird, interesting experience. Like within email, I think the way in which you do it, um, it's just natural. Like being able to ask people questions and get a reply, you know, being able to track people based off the links that they click, right? Like within Clavio, you can create these custom tracking links you can basically survey people within an email um, and they don't actually necessarily even know whether they're being surveyed or not, right? Or that you're tracking it. You can obviously disclose it. And if you want to disclose it, that's completely up to you. Um, you can even tag things like whether someone is interested in men's, women's, kids, or sales clothing based on just creating links for your headers, right? You can see which product people have viewed. You can see how long people spent on your website. So I think email is like the most obvious and the easiest and the most natural platform to collect these insights just because like it's done in a way that's there's not very much resistance. Sure. If you link out to a type form that does take people, you know, to another thing and they have to fill it out, but you can also incentivize people to do that through free offers, free shipping, discounts, dollar off, like, you know, exclusive access, new content. Like I just think email, like in my opinion is, I won't say the only, but the main channel for research and feedback um, in a way that, we've all been used to receiving it and kind of responding to it. And it just seems, yeah, very natural. Awesome. Awesome. We've, we've got about three minutes left and I think I've covered more questions in this podcast than any other one. Um, and it's a testament to you. I think you're so concise in your speech. Like you, you get to the point straight away, but you're communicating everything that needs to be communicated. It's, it's really, really fascinating for me on, on my end, learning how to communicate on this podcast, like, how how effective you are i want to thank you um your mindset a little bit because you tweet a lot about it um and i think it's something that really um exists within your entire organization like from yourself to nick and yeah. like you guys really believe that there is more than enough for everyone and yes than everything that you guys do so where did that mindset develop from and and kind of yeah what is your what is your viewpoint on that yeah, that's a good question. I think for, for me, like I'm the oldest, I have uh, uh, four boys, right? So I've got three younger brothers. So I've always like, I guess had to share, right? I've always had people around me 
Um, you know, I love my brothers. I've always wanted them to do well. So there's a lot of times like where, you know, I put them first before me, right? Um, you know, I've been with my wife, you know, in relationship for like 10 years, we've been married for a few years, right? Like, obviously really prioritize that. So for, for me, like I get value in terms of prioritizing other people. That's like what fulfills me. And I think when I went on my first podcast, like four or five years ago, probably even earlier than I should have gone on a podcast, but I went on a podcast and I didn't think what I was saying was all that, you know, revolutionary or crazy or, or whatnot. And just the response of people of like, oh my God, I never thought about that. Or wow, like this is crazy. But I think I just had a really good first experience with like sharing knowledge freely and getting like loads of people reaching out. And again, granted, I don't know that I deserved to be on a podcast at the time. So it was kind of like this, I had imposter syndrome. I didn't think anyone was going to like what I said. I got really great feedback and it just made me really addictive to, to giving. So at, at this point right now, uh, I get at least, at least one to two people every single day saying like, Hey, your content changed my business. Your content changed my life. Like, you know, this means so much to me. And that, you know, those small reminders, again, like whether these people are buying my products or not, doesn't even matter. There's so much free content out there that I'm giving that people are going to be able to learn from. But I think just like people are so appreciative and so thankful. And that means everything to me. And that's what I built my business on. That's what I built friendships on. That's what I built relationship on is, is really giving and really never, ever taking so it's just something that's been, I think, ingrained in my career. And it's something that, you know, I'm spending a lot of my own money and I'm spending a lot of obviously time creating content for others, um, which helps them. And again, in return, I guess it does help me. So I just like to give. Yeah, there really is no substitute for goodwill. I mean, even for example, if you consider your agency, I'm sure if somebody's seen, you know, 10, 15, 20 of your tweets and they come to you for a quote and you work out more expensive than the next guy, but because you've got that equity in that relationship, of the content you've put out the value you've given them before even exchanging any money you know they're much more likely to go with you yeah 100 i think a couple other things stand out to me i was talking with nick about this i think on sunday a few days ago and, and we basically were talking about like we have never posted on social media hey come work for us like we're looking for clients sure we might post about hey we're hiring we need some people right because we want people that follow us we want people in the network to come work for us but we've never ever posted like hey we need or want clients right so i think the approach that we're taking is like, when people think about us, they don't think about our agency. When people think about me, they think about email. When they think about Nick, they think of paid social. We almost really never ever talk about our agency. We talk about it maybe a couple times a quarter when we're excited and we want to celebrate our team, but we'll never ever post like, hey, come, you know, come work with us, right? That's one. I think two, the other thing that we've created a lot of really goodwill, and I like that word, um, is a lot of brands come to us and they're just not the right fit. And instead of trying to take their money, instead of trying to convince them and convince ourselves that they're the right fit, we turn a lot of business away. We send a lot of business to other agencies, or if we don't have a good agency for a service, we just say, hey, we, we're not the right fit. We wish we had someone that was a good fit. Because we don't, we'd rather not make any intros. And I think that's a really unique kind of rare thing is like, we probably turn more business away at this point than we take on. Because if it's not a good fit for us, it's not a good fit for our clients. And we are really focused on building you know, mid kind of long-term relationships that it has to be good for both parties. Awesome. Yeah. I think that's something that's very, very rare in the agency game. Anyway, I think a lot of people are scrambling for business, um, yeah. doing a lot of the same things to each other, but you know, when you have that, when you're operating, operating from that standpoint of having the power in the relationship or, you know, because of the brand you've built, you're in a much better position and, you know, nobody ever felt poor while giving. Um, so you know, it's a, it's a really good mindset hack actually to, to give and, you know, whether it's advice, whether it's money, whether it's, you know, whatever else it is, you, you don't feel your inadequacy in that moment. You don't feel the scarcity in that moment. And so 
if you can just do more of that thing sooner or later, you'll start operating from that standpoint and then your life will change. Exactly. And I got two other things um, and they're, they're both really quick. I think you, you, you nailed it where it's the abundance mentality versus the scarcity mentality, right? Like there's more than enough to go around. You're going to be okay. And not acting out of desperation, right? When you act out of desperation, you make poor decisions. You make short-term decisions, right? And short-term decisions leads to short-term results. Maybe you're going to win in the next few weeks, potentially a few months, but you're not going to be able to win over the coming months and coming years, right? So think about why you're, you're doing this. Is it for short-term get rich quick, right? If that is no, not knocking it, nothing wrong. It's just not about me. That's not what I'm about. I'm, I'm about long-term. And I think the, the other thing, right, is like the, the biggest advice I'd give to people that are listening to this or, or, or watching this is like, you know, consistency over time is what gets you the results, right? Most people are going to go create content because they're really fired up hearing me say, go give. They're going to create content for a week or for, for a month, and then they're going to give up because it didn't get traction. Dude, like I've been creating content at this point for four or five years, and people just started finding out about me in the past like 12 to 18 months. So it really took me like two to three years of showing up every single day and in grinding to actually get to where I am. And I've got so much further that I, that I want to go that like I'm putting in the work today, knowing that it's going to pay off in six months and eight months and 12 months and two years. So you have to have the ability to be patient. You have to have certain things that allow you to, um, you know, for, for me, like I have agency cash flow. I've got courses. I've got these things where like, I, I'm not trying to make the next buck, right? Sure. If I make more money, that's great. But I think having the right things in place first that allow you to have this foundation and this core that make you feel really settled that you don't have to kind of constantly scramble and, you know, do this, that, and the other, um, and really focus and go all in on one thing for me, that's been email marketing. I've been doing it for six years. I've been doing e-commerce email marketing for the past three to four. So really going all in and obsessing over one thing and becoming a master at it, I think is probably the last thing I'd say. Awesome. Awesome, man. What an episode. Our timer went off about two or three minutes ago, but I just silenced it. I didn't want to hear it. <laughs> so yeah, thank you so much for doing this, man. This has been an amazing episode. And if, you, if you're listening to this and you haven't been taking notes, go back, brief episode, skip me out completely. Just listen to what Chase is saying and just take some notes on what he's saying, man. It's really, really powerful advice. And consider this podcast a complete endorsement of everything chase puts out like i bought his course myself um, when he first released it and the amount of value for money that you're getting in in his clavio course is just insane you can build an entire email marketing department from just that course whether it's in brand or in agency um either side um so thank yeah you. really extend my appreciation to you for coming on man thank you so much yeah thank you so much for having me and i loved it thank you awesome awesome so guys um that rounds up another episode uh hopefully I'm going to do a quick open call out here, actually. Hopefully I can get Chase to convince Nick to come on and do an episode as well, um, because I'd love to pick that guy's brain. We've spoke a few times online, but it's a, it'll be a pleasure to have him on as well. So maybe we can sort something out. Yeah, we'll connect offline. We'll make it happen for you. Awesome. Awesome. All right, guys, uh, please like the show. Follow uh, if you're on Spotify. I still haven't been able to get it up on Apple yet. Don't know what the issue is, but trying to figure it out. Subscribe on YouTube. Leave a comment. Uh, you know, comment what you thought was best about Chase's advice, about his mindset and his approach to this entire game of business. Um, and yeah, we'll see you on the next episode. Thank you so much, guys. Take care.